Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. Chapter seven, welcome back. Happy New Year, everyone. This is going to be an awesome new year. The past two years have been painted bleak and fearful. The world's egos have set the stage and delivered the narrative of sickness, sadness, and darkness. We have a choice. We can believe this narrative and continue to live our lives as if we have zero control over it, or embrace our spirit and wellness and celebrate our journey and seek out to discover why we came here. This is quite simply a choice. You are in control. You choose what you want to happen. There is a reality that is waiting for our arrival and acceptance of it. It is not the one you think you see or think you are. It is quite the opposite. In this section and chapter of the book starts the journey of understanding. It starts to explain this difference and how we see this world. Chapter seven, the gifts of the kingdom. How can we know where we should go if we have no idea who we truly are? So let's begin. Chapter seven starts with the last step. So we're going to do five sections as I always do. The last step, the laws of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, healing as the recognition of truth and healing and the changelessness of mind. We'll then continue with chapter seven in two weeks time. And we'll start with vigilance to peace, which is on page 123. Okay. So let's start the beginning of chapter seven, which is on page 112. And I will start with chapter one. There's a lot I'm covering in this first section because I think it's a good starting place of understanding what the gifts of the kingdom are. So paragraph one says, the creative power of God and his creations is limitless, but they are not in a reciprocal relationship. You communicate fully with God as he does with you. This is an ongoing process in which you share, and because you share it, you are inspired to create like God. Okay, so I have to say, when I first read that section, I read, well, that is a reciprocal relationship, but it goes on to explain why it isn't. That way in which it just explains is reciprocal, but here's why it's not. Yet in creation, you are not in a reciprocal relationship to God, since he created you, but you did not create him. I have already told you that only in this respect, your creative powers different differ from his. Even in this world, there is a parallel. Parents give birth to children, but children do not give birth to their parents. They do, however, give birth to their children and thus give birth as their parents do. So that's where they're trying to make the, create, the, the link or the parallel between God and ourselves. So God gave us life, created us, and in turn, then we create our children. That's, um, that's how that isn't reciprocal. Paragraph two says, if you created God and he created you, the kingdom could, the kingdom could not increase through its own creative thought. Creation would therefore be limited and you would not be co-creators with God. As God's creative thought proceeds from him to you, so must your creative thought proceed from you to your creations, your children. Only in this way can all creative power extend outwards. Sentence seven says, you have the power to add to the kingdom, though 
not to add to the creator of the kingdom. So there's where the reciprocal relationship doesn't happen either. We can extend and add to the kingdom, but we don't add to our creator. He is the one and the only, and he's the one who's the first, right? He started everything. You claim this power when you become vigilant only for God and his kingdom. By accepting this power as yours, you have learned to remember what you are. Paragraph three says, your creations belong in you as you belong in God. You are part of God as your sons are part of his sons. To create is to love. Love extends outward simply because it cannot be contained. Being limitless, it does not stop. It creates forever, but not in time. God's creations have been, have always been because he has always been. Your creations have always been because you can create only as God creates. Eternity is yours because he created you eternal. Paragraph four at the bottom says, the ego, on the other hand, always demands reciprocal rights because it is competitive rather than loving. It is always willing to strike a bargain, but cannot understand that to be like, to be like also means that no bargains are possible. To gain, you must give, not bargain. To bargain is to limit giving, and this is not God's will. To will with God is to create like him. God does not limit his gifts in any way. You are his gifts. And so your gifts must be like his. Your gifts to the kingdom must be like his gifts to you. Paragraph five, I gave only love to the kingdom because I believe that was what I was. What you believe you are determines your gifts. And if God created you by extending himself as you, you can only extend yourself as he did. Only joy increases forever since joy and eternity are inseparable. God extends outward beyond limits and beyond time. And you who are co-creator with him, extends him, extend his kingdom forever and beyond limit. Eternity is the indelible stamp of creation. The eternal are in peace and joy forever. Paragraph six, to like, to think like God is to share his certainty of what you are and to create like him is to share the perfect love he shares with you. Sentence five, a little bit further down says, however, the Holy Spirit has the task of translating the useless into the useful, the meaningless into the meaningful and the temporary into the timeless. He can therefore tell you something about this last step. Paragraph seven says, God does not take steps because his accomplishments are not gradual. He does not teach because his creations are changeless. He does nothing last because he created first and for always. It must be understood that the word first as applied to him is not a time concept. He is first in the sense that he is the first in the Holy Trinity itself. Sentence nine, a little bit further down says, what is timeless is always there because its being is eternally changeless. So God has always been there, always will be there, right? As the first. So there's no time concept here. He's, it's changeless. It does not change by increase because it was forever created to increase. Sentence 13 at the bottom says, God does not reveal this to you because it was never hidden. <laughs> it doesn't have to reveal something that's already there. We have to find it. 
His light was never obscured because it is his will to, next page, page 114, to share it. How can what is fully shared be withheld and then revealed? Question mark. So this section, which I did cover most of the last step, was just to make people understand or help people to understand um, what, what the whole point of the last step is. God is the last step, but he's the first step as well. And he we're basically being told that nothing's been withheld from us. Nothing is hidden. It's always been there. It's been our choice whether we see it and choose to embrace it or not. The next section on page 114 is called the law of the kingdom. Paragraph one says to heal is the only kind of thinking in this world that resembles the thought of God. And because of the elements they share can transfer easily to it. When a brother perceives himself as a, as sick, he is perceiving himself as not whole and therefore in need. If you too see him this way, you are seeing him as if he were absent from the kingdom or separated from it, thus making the kingdom itself obscured to both of you. Sickness and separation are not of God, but the kingdom is. If you obscure the kingdom, you are perceiving what is not of God. So basically this paragraph is saying that if we see each other as sick, if we buy into sickness, both in ourselves, both in ourselves and in others, then we are blocking the kingdom of God. We're not seeing what the kingdom of God of it truly is, which is no sickness and fully healed and fully whole. Don't worry, the book goes on to explain how you do that. <laughs> Paragraph two says, to heal then is to correct perception in your brother and yourself by sharing the Holy Spirit with him. So our Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as we started out, we're on chapter seven, is our guide, our healer, and our comforter. So we're going to hear more and more as we go through the book about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives and how we can embrace that. This places you both within the kingdom, restores its wholeness in your mind. This reflects creation because it unifies by increasing and integrates by extending. What you project or extend is real for you. This is an immutable law of the mind in this world as well as in the kingdom. Paragraph three, outside the kingdom, the law that prevails inside is adapted to what you project you believe. This is its teaching form because outside the kingdom, learning is essential. This form implies that you will learn what you are from what you have projected onto others and therefore believe they are. In the kingdom, there is no teaching or learning because there is no belief. There is only certainty. So basically it's saying that in the kingdom, you are whole. So you don't require any more learning, any belief system, anything, because you are what you are. You don't require anything else. God and his sons in the surety of being know that what you extend, you are. That form of the law is not adaptable, adapted at all, being the law of creation. So this where this, I love this line because it's saying that as soon as you are 100% sure of who you are and where you came from, then that's what you will extend and you will extend nothing else. Next page, page 115. So I'm at paragraph six now. No one 
questions the connection of learning and memory. Learning is impossible without memory since it must be consistent to be remembered. That is why the Holy Spirit's teaching is a lesson in remembering. I said before that he teaches remembering and forgetting, but the forgetting is only to make the remembering consistent. You forget in order to remember better. You will not understand his translations while you listen to two ways of interpreting them. Therefore, you must forget or relinquish one to understand the other. That is the only way you can learn consistently so that you can finally be consistent. So this is an interesting paragraph because it's not explaining it yet, but they're talking about the ego and our two ways of learning, right? So we have the ego that teaches us one thing, and that's the way of this world. And that is the judgment and the negativity of this world. And then there is spirit, what the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us. And that's what we're, that's what it's referring to in terms of remembering and forgetting. The first one, remembering, is remembering we're God-like beings. And forgetting is forgetting that we are nothing but God-like beings. So we have to forget everything that our ego has taught us. Paragraph seven, sentence three says, there is no confusion in the kingdom because there is only one meaning. This meaning comes from God and is God. Because it is also you, you share it and extend it as your creator did. This needs no translation because it is perfectly understood, but it does need extension because it means extension. In the book, it talks a lot about perception and extension, or sorry, projection and extension, and they're two very different things. And whenever um, extension is mentioned, it's usually connected to God because God extends. And that is where you take the being inside you and God is God. Um, but in our case, the God inside us and extend it. And that's where love comes from is extension, not projection. Next page, page 116. Oh, sorry. It ends with, I better read the last line. Communication is next page, perfectly direct and perfectly ununited. It is totally free because nothing discordant ever enters. That is why it is the kingdom of God. It belongs to him and is therefore like him. That is its reality and nothing can assail it. Okay. The next section on page 116 is called the reality of the kingdom. Paragraph one. The Holy Spirit teaches one lesson and applies it to all individuals in all situations. Being conflict-free, he maximizes all efforts and all results. By teaching the power of the kingdom of God himself, he teaches you that all power is yours. Its application does not matter. It is always maximal. Your vigilance does not establish it as yours, but it does enable you to use it always and in all ways. When I said, I am with you always, I meant it literally. I'm not absent to anyone in any situation because I am always with you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You did not make this power any more than I did. It was created to be shared and therefore cannot be meaningfully perceived as belonging to anyone at the expense of another. Such a perception makes it meaningless by eliminating or overlooking its real and only meaning. And I'm just going to state something that 
I found to be quite, quite obvious when I first read this is this is where religion has a big problem because religion teaches that select individuals like pastors and priests and monks and whomever were chosen ones to share the message or the word of God. But this book clearly states, and in this section, the reality of the kingdom clearly states that that's not true, that every one of us has the exact same power as the other. All of us were chosen. Now, not to not in any judgment of pastors or priests, what they've chosen to do is listen to that message and try to share it. The only confusion here is that it doesn't belong in a place. It belongs in us. So we don't need to go to a church to find God. He lives in us. We just need to go inside ourselves and search for him. He doesn't live anywhere except within each one of us equally. Right? So each one of us has the power to share and extend God's will. It's not limited to, limited to any special human beings. Next section, paragraph two, sentence 11, the ego then is always being undone and does suspect your motives. Your mind cannot be unified in allegiance to the ego because the mind does not belong to it. Paragraph three at the bottom says, I said before that the ego's friend is not part of you because the ego perceives itself at war and therefore in need of allies. You who are not at war must look for brothers and recognize all whom you see as brothers because only equals are at peace. Because, next page, God's equal sons have everything. They cannot compete. Sentence five, do not underestimate your need to be vigilant, vigilant against this idea because all your conflicts come from it. And they're talking about our desire to compete with one another, to look at our brothers and sisters as not equal to ourselves. That's the vigilance we need to work on. It is the belief that conflicting interests are possible and therefore that you have accepted the impossible as true. Is that difference, is that different from saying you perceive yourself as unreal? Next paragraph, paragraph four. To be in the kingdom is merely to focus your full attention on it. As long as you believe you can attend to what is not true, you are accepting conflict as your choice. Is it really a choice? It seems to be, but seeming and reality are hardly the same. You who are the kingdom are not concerned with seeming. Reality is yours because you are reality. This is how having and being are ultimately reconciled, not in the kingdom, but in your mind. This next sentence, sentence eight says, the altar there is the only reality. The altar is perfectly clear in thought because it is a reflection of perfect thought. Your right mind sees only brothers because it sees only in its own light. And I love that those two sentences because the altar there is the only reality. That's what sentence eight says. And what they're talking about there is the altar in your mind, the altar in you. That is your only reality, not outside of your mind, 
not what you see in this world, but inside of you. Paragraph five, sentence four says, this is why the Holy Spirit never questions. His sole function is to undo the questionable and thus lead to certainty. The certain are perfectly calm because they are not in doubt. They do not raise questions because nothing questionable enters their minds. This holds them in perfect serenity because this is what they share, knowing what they are. And I have to say, as my last sort of comment on this section, that that last piece is really me. It's really where what I've come to be and what I've found and which each one of you can find as well. And is that certainty and no doubt in your mind that what this belief is and what exists inside you is truly who you are. I don't have questions. I don't anymore. I had lots in the beginning. I don't anymore because there is a perfect sense of calmness and and joy and peace in knowing that you are not of this world. Next section on page 117 is called Healing as the Recognition of Truth. Sentence two. I start at sentence two. In Inspiration is of the Holy Spirit and certainty is of God according to his laws. Both therefore come from the same source since inspiration comes from the voice of God and certainty comes from the laws of God. Healing does not come directly from God who knows his creations are perfectly whole. Now that's really interesting because I, I, I know in some of my book clubs, people have said, what? Healing doesn't come from God? We prayed for God to heal. And we, we get healing from God. It goes on to explain that the power of healing is comes from God indirectly. It really comes from us. We have the ability to heal. And since we are, God has, God is inside us and we are part of him, right? This one wholeness, then yes, he does heal. But what we don't understand is we have that direct power and he sends it to us. So it goes on to say, um, yet healing, this is sentence five, yet healing is still of God because it proceeds from his voice and from his laws. It is their result in a state of mind that does not know him. The next page, the state is unknown to him and therefore does not exist. But those who sleep are unaware because they are unaware, they do not know. So basically saying that the reason why people don't understand how powerful they are and that they have the power to heal themselves and others is because they don't know that. They don't believe that. Paragraph two says the Holy Spirit must work through you to teach you. He is in you. God is in you. This is an intermediary step toward the knowledge that you are in God because you are part of him. The miracles the Holy Spirit inspires can have no order of difficulty because Every part of creation is of one order. Sentence six says, when you heal, you are remembering the laws of God and forgetting the laws of the ego. I said before that forgetting is merely a way of remembering better. Paragraph three, sentence three says, the Holy Spirit teaches you to use what the ego has made to teach the opposite of what the ego has learned. Sentence five says, all you need to do is make the effort to learn for the Holy Spirit has a unified goal for the effort. If different abilities are applied long enough to one goal, 
the abilities themselves become unified. This is because they are channelized in one direction or in one way. Ultimately, then they all contribute to one result. And by so doing, their similarity rather than their differences is emphasized. I love that. I love that whole section. That's three sentences, six, seven, and eight. And basically saying, if we are all aligned in our thought system, if we all have a unified goal in believing that we are part of oneness, part of God, and truly understand that and can put that out, send that channel that out in one direction to everyone, what a huge difference that would make in on this planet and in this world. Paragraph five, sentence two says, the ego always seeks to divide and separate. The Holy Spirit always seeks to unify and heal. As you heal, you are healed because the Holy Spirit sees no order of difficulties in healing. Healing is the way to undo the belief in differences, next page, top of page 119, being the only way of perceiving the sonship as one. This perception is therefore in accord with the laws of God, even in a state of mind that is out of accord with his. The strength of right perception is so great that it brings the mind into accord with his because it serves his voice, which is in all of you. Paragraph six says to think you can oppose the will of God is a real delusion. The ego believes it can and that it can offer you its own will as a gift. You do not want it. It's not a gift. It is nothing at all. God has given you a gift that you both have and are. When you do not use it, you forget that you have it. By not remembering it, you do not know what you are. Healing then is a way of approaching knowledge by thinking in accordance with the laws of God and recognizing their universality, that this is universal. Within this recognition, you have made the laws meaningless to you. Yet the laws are not meaningless since all meaning is contained by them and in them. Paragraph seven, sentence four says, God is all in all in every literal sense. All being is in him who is all being. You are therefore in him since your being is his. Healing is a way of forgetting the sense of danger the ego has induced in you by not recognizing its existence in your brother. So this is the, this is what I said when I started the podcast today about the sickness and the fear that this world has induced, that egos have induced. If we truly believe that we are of God and like God and he is in him, then sickness does not exist. It's a choice. Next sentence, this strengthens the Holy Spirit in both of you because it is a refusal to acknowledge fear. And that's what we need to do. Stop fear. Love needs only this invitation. It comes freely to all the sonship, being what the sonship is. By your awakening to it, you are merely forgetting what you are. This enables you to remember what you are. The next section, which is paragraph, uh, which is um, healing and the changelessness of mind on page 119. I'm going to go to paragraph two on 120. That's where I'm going to start. Only minds communicate. 
Since the ego cannot obliterate, obliterate, oh, pff, can't even say that word. Since the ego cannot obliterate the impulse to communicate because it is also the impulse to create. It can only teach you that the body can both communicate and create and therefore does not need the mind. The ego thus tries to teach you that the body can act like the mind and is therefore self-sufficient. Sentence six, an inconsistent lesson will be poorly taught and poorly learned. If you teach both sickness and healing, you are both a poor teacher and a poor learner. Paragraph three, healing is the only, is the one ability everyone can develop and must develop if he is to be healed. Healing is the Holy Spirit's form of communication in this world and the only one he accepts. He recognizes no other because he does not accept the ego's confusion of the mind and body. Minds can communicate, but they cannot hurt. Paragraph four says healing only strengthens. Paragraph five says the Holy Spirit does not work by chance and healing that is of him always works. Unless the healer always heals by him, the results will vary. Yet healing itself is consistent since only consistency is conflict-free and only the conflict-free are whole. Sentence six says, can anything of God not be for all and for always? Love is incapable of any exceptions. Only if there is fear does the idea of exceptions seem to be meaningful. Exceptions are fearful because they, next page, are made by fear. The fearful healer is a contradiction in terms and is therefore a concept that only a conflicted mind can possibly perceive as meaningful. Paragraph six says, fear does not gladden, healing does. Fear always makes exceptions, healing never does. Fear produces disassociation because it induces separation. Healing always produces harmony because it proceeds from integration. Paragraph seven says the unhealed healer wants gratitude from his brothers, but he is not grateful to them. That is because he thinks he is giving something to them and is not receiving something equally desirable in return. His teachings teaching is limited because he is learning so little. His healing lesson is limited by his own ingratitude, which is a lesson in sickness. True learning is constant and so vital in its power for change that a son of God can recognize his power in one instant and change the world in the next. This is because by changing his mind, he has changed the most powerful device that was ever given him for change. Next page, paragraph nine on page 122 says, as you can hear two voices, so can you see two ways. One way shows you an image or an idol that you may worship out of fear, but will never love. The other shows you only truth, which you will love because you will understand it. Understanding is appreciation because what you understand you can identify with. And by making it part of you, you've accepted it with love. That is how God himself created you. In understanding, in appreciation, and in love. The ego is totally unable to understand this because it does not understand what it makes, does not appreciate it, and does not love it. It incorporates to take away. 
It literally believes that every time it deprives someone of something, it has increased. Paragraph 10, sentence six says, your mind is so powerful, a light that you can look into theirs and enlighten them as I can enlighten yours. I do not want to share my body in communion because this is to share nothing. Would I try to share an illusion with the most holy children of a most holy father? Question mark. Yet I do want to share my mind with you because you are of one mind and that mind is yours. See only this mind everywhere because only this is everywhere and in everything. It is everything because it encompasses all things within itself. Blessed are you who perceive only this because you perceive only what is true. Paragraph 11 says, come therefore unto me and learn from the truth in you. The mind we share is shared by all your brothers. And as we see them truly, they will be healed. Let your mind shine with mine upon their minds and by our gratitude to them, make them aware of the light in them. This light will shine back upon you and on the whole sonship because it is your proper gift to God. Sentence six says, this is true communion with the Holy Spirit who sees the altar of God in everyone, next page, and by bringing it to your appreciation, he calls upon you to love God and his creations, all his creations. You can appreciate the sonship only as one. This is the part of the law of creation and therefore governs all thought. And this is where we end today. Okay, so we will pick up with the next section of um, chapter seven on page 123, where we ended, called From Vigilance to Peace in Two Weeks Time. So Trifecta Now Masterclasses um, are starting this year, and I announced that in December. So the first one is Overcoming Death, and we're going to talk about um, understanding what death is and grief and where that all comes from and how the course teaches us that we can overcome this. The first uh, course is scheduled for January 20th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then it runs again, um, just for those people who couldn't do it on a Thursday evening, on a Saturday, January 29th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Overcoming Death has been designed to share the teachings of the course specifically to address death and grief. If you're interested in registering for either one of those dates, please email me at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. You can find that in the podcast, in the information for each podcast, the, the email address is there. I'll send you a registration form. And once you register, you'll receive a confirmation email along with the Zoom link for the class. The first master class will be $60 US. It'll be uh, $60 Canadian funds if you live in Canada. If there is a high registration number, as I said before, I'll just run more. I'll be uploading another episode in two weeks. I'd like to say again, hello to all my friends. As we embark upon another new year, remember that each day brings forth many gifts. Ones you will see, ones you will feel, ones you will hear. It's important to be aware and always awaken to your senses so you do not miss what comes to you. Thanks for listening. I'll be again contacted at, you can contact me at trifectanow3 at email g, 
gmail.com if you'd like to ask me a question or share a comment or just say hello. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Keep sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love, Denise.